Well, welcome everybody to this session. I am so excited you're here and you're back and you are in for such a treat. I am interviewing Cindy Muchnick and I am so delighted to introduce you to her. And today she is going to guide us on navigating your parent compass, supporting your child's mental health, and fostering a strong parent-teen bond. And I want to introduce you to Cindy and just tell you a little bit about her. She's an author, she's a speaker, she's an educational consultant, and an experienced and always learning mother of three sons and a daughter. She is also a graduate of Stanford University and has been working in education for the past 20 five plus years as a former assistant director of college admission, high school teacher, educational consultant, and the author of five other educational related books. I think it's even more than that because uh, I just saw you have a new one coming out. But we're going to be talking about her book, The Parent Compass, Navigating Your Teen's Wellness and Academic Journey in Today's Competitive World. And I just have to tell you that this book hit the Library Journal's top 20 bestseller list. It was ranked top 100 best parenting books of all time, number one best new parenting audiobook to read in 2021, number five new parenting book to read in 2021, and number 17 best parenting audiobook of all time. So welcome, Cindy. We are so happy to have you with us today. Thank you so much, Cheryl. I love seeing you and your amazing platform, and I'm so excited to be a part of this event. Well, I'm so happy that you are here and your book. I mean, it just keeps getting more and more and more traction. I mean, it's like you're everywhere with this book. And we fun with it. We are, we, it's definitely an evergreen title. In fact, I was thinking about making a post to say that the book came out almost three years ago. We're at, has celebrating our three-year birthday and the content is still more relevant than ever. Uh, maybe even more so now that we're kind of in the post COVID years, um, or post heavy COVID years, I would say. <laughs> yeah. And it is, it's just, um, such a needed book and what, tell them a little bit about what led you to write this book. Yeah. So um, if everyone can dust off their brains and remember back to 2019, when the college admission scandal, also known as Operation Varsity Blues, hit the news headlines, uh, I just felt like I had been hit in the stomach um, with a big fist and was just blown away by the terrible behavior of parents in this awful situation where they were lying and breaking the law to help their kids get a leg up in a backdoor, you know, college, um, you know, admissions process. It just was really kind of disgusting. And the first phone call I made was to my now co-author, Jen Curtis, who also was working in the educational consulting field. And the two of us decided we needed to remedy this bad parenting behavior. And the Parent Compass began as an etiquette book to teach parents how to better behave. And it evolved into really this compass concept, this idea of following your parent compass, which is a concept of checking yourself, of, of doing what doesn't necessarily feel um, intuitive, 
but to, to pull back in order to allow our kids um, the space to grow and feel um, independent and, um, you know, show grit and resilience and all those things. And I'm wearing, if you, everyone's tuning in, I'm wearing my little parent compass around my neck that my co-author gave me when our book came out as a tangible reminder to continue to try to follow mine because it's not always easy what we're asking parents to do in the parent compass. Yeah. I love that. Where did you get it? Where did she get it? Can we get one? Yeah, you can get one. Actually um, message me um, on at parent compass. Um, I wish we made them. We don't, but I can send you the, the the website where you can get it. We've sent them as gifts to people and um, they're not super expensive. They come in silver and gold and um, they really do become this way that, you know, you just kind of follow your compass and remind you. Um, sometimes people put the little rubber band around our list, um, around your wrist. I think this is an easier way to just kind of wear it and be reminded. <laughs> and it's pretty. It feels a lot better than snapping, uh, you know, uh, snapping a band. <laughs> I love it. Um, so, you know, you talked about how that we, you know, the news headlines and all of that. And it is confusing today to, like you said, to find that compass. You know, we feel like, oh, we should have that. But what gets in the way of of our our parenting compass? Sure. You know, um, I was just talking with my husband about this. We were on an anniversary trip together and you tend to have those, those walks and the time to kind of reflect on the family you've raised and the world you're living in and the world your kids are growing up in. And I said to him, and this is really funny. It was very parent compass. I don't realize, didn't realize it in this conversation, but what I said to him is the love we have for our children is so fierce. It is so deep. They are walking around carrying our hearts. They are, you know, they are a piece of us out there. And because of that fierce love, we as parents feel that to show them, especially in their tween and teen years, that love, um, we must do for them. We must fix and manage and show through our actions how we are giving to them. And up until middle school, we need to do that. We need to drive them places and get them to their activities and feed them and clothe them. And, and, you know, they're little people that need our help and guidance. But around middle school, they start to kind of shed that deep need for us being there. In fact, they really want to push us away. And that's a painful feeling as any parent. And what we need to do is follow and listen to that. And instead of doing and fixing and micromanaging and hovering and helicoptering, we need to do what doesn't feel as good, which is to pull back. And it's asking parents to be pretty brave to do that. It's it's allowing our kids to take the driver's seat and to make those mistakes and to trip and fall and to feel like they failed or fail and to kind of be their shoulder to shoulder instead of as the manager. Because when you are fixing all those things, you don't allow them the space to breathe and become their own people. And what's going to happen when they don't live under your roof anymore. So that's what gets in the way that fierce, fierce love, which is, which is good that we love them so much, but we need to, we need to pull back. I love that. I thought we, we need to create something that says like, let's be brave because I, you know, I don't think that it feels that way, or I know it doesn't feel like as parents were being brave, but that's really, yeah. what we need to be, it, it takes courage to allow our kids 
to learn from their mistakes. We can see it like, oh, if they don't study for this test, they're not going to do well. And then that's going to get in the way of them getting into that college they want to get into. And, you know, and we can spiral and then we can't control Well, we can't control ourselves, but it's really difficult. Then we want to jump in there and micromanage everything. So, so speak to us about that. Like, how do we, how do we stop, you know, start kind of scaling back and yep. allowing our kids to develop that grit and resilience. You know, it's interesting. Um, my co-author, Jen Curtis, really believes in earplugs for her students. And um, she likes the idea of kids drowning out the noise of the people around them. And the earplugs for them is kind of the tangible reminder, the way the compass for us is the tangible reminder. It sort of blocks out the noise of everyone around you. But honestly, I think the parents need the earplugs just as much because there's this sense of this competition that we're creating between other parents who we hardly know. And we feel that we can't keep up if we don't do the tutoring and don't sign up for this. And, you know, we lived in um, Southern California for a long time and I had parents all around me telling me if my kids didn't learn how to swim and be a junior lifeguard, you know, they might drown in the ocean. My kids weren't water kids. They were land sport kids. So, so they still haven't drowned, thank goodness. But, but hearing that day after day and not being at the swim meets and not being at the junior guards was like we were choosing, you know, something that was so different from others. And if we really see our individual kid, if we look at them super closely and what makes them tick and what excites them, we can find all those ways to drown out the noise because the noise doesn't matter. It's their kind of happiness and them feeling good in their skin, doing the things that make them happy, not the things that might vicariously make us happy. So we had our turn to be teenagers. Now it's their turn. And our job really is to just try to keep that relationship positive and open between us and also to let them, you know, develop those skills yeah. that they need of grit and resilience, which means, yes, if they leave the homework paper at home on the desk, don't bring it to school. If they forget their lunch, they'll get fed somehow. You know, they have to feel the sting of scraping their knees so that they can clean themselves up because they're old enough to do that. And honestly, like who wants to be babied, right? Like we don't want to be babied even by our own spouses. We're like, Hey, come on. You know, so let's okay. what you do. Yeah. So, well, I, let's get personal here. Uh, I'm kind of thrown in a sideball, but I'm, you know, you and I have older kids. Now your youngest is what in high school? Yeah. My youngest is a junior in high school. My oldest is 25. So yeah. I be out of the house and one left. Okay. So we've had, both of us have had a little experience in this realm that we can bring some comfort to the other, you know, our attendees here. Yep. How, when you have, because we've all done it, when you've jumped in, have you seen how that's impacted your kids negatively? Can you like look back and say, Ooh, I can see this where I would definitely step back now? Yes. Um, first of all, the way that I parented my first two kids was pretty different than the way I parented my next two. I could have used a, you know, a good copy of the parent compass and a few spankings <laughs> along the way, or spankings is the wrong word, a few reminders along the way. <laughs> you know, I used to I used yeah. to give my mother teases me, my 25-year-old, I would give my mother, you know, four pages single space typed of how to take care of the baby. You know, that's how really a mess I was. 
with that first child. And as we know, as life progresses and as you see sort of the results of some of the mistakes that you make along the way, which do, you know, you will know when you make them because your kids will tell you, they will say, don't post that picture. Don't help me with this. I've got it. And our job is to zip it. It's to zip it and, and say, good for you. Good for you for telling me you don't need me. And that hurts, right? It hurts to hear that. So my daughter, here's a big mistake I made along the way. I became like a technology addict and I talk about it in the book. Jen and I both talk about lots of the mistakes we've made, not following our parent compasses and compi compasses, compasses. <laughs> anyway, in the book, I talk about the day that I am at my computer with my earbuds, with my cell phone, with the microphone. You know, I am just going down a lot of rabbit holes and my daughter really needed me. And she had to physically come up to me, put her hand on my arm, turn my face away from the computer and say, you know, I need you right now. I need to talk to you. I was so distracted and I was just not present. And it was my teenager who kind of reminded me and she said, Hey mom, let's get on your phone and see how much time you're spending on your social media. Because in her health class, they had done that. They had looked at all the hours they'd spent or minutes at various locations. And she helped me set, set limits for myself. And it was so good. Did. So I think the way that we know we made these mistakes is when we feel the need to apologize and we should apologize. We should apologize to our kids and say, I'm sorry, I didn't do that. Right. I need a do over. Um, you know, sometimes it takes a day or two or even a week to realize I didn't handle a situation well. And I make a point of saying to my kids, I did that wrong. I'm sorry. They've seen me cry. They've seen me yell. They've seen me exasperated and they've seen know that I'm a human. And we have this really, really helpful questionnaire in the first chapter of the parent compass that helps parents sit down with their teen for five minutes to open up the communication in a healthier way. And if you tell your kids, I want to be a better mom, or I want to be a better dad or a better supporter of you, can you give me five minutes of your time to do this questionnaire? Your kids will go, oh, that's interesting. You want to do better? All right, I'll help you do better. So I just think that there is this sense that, you know, the parent compass's goal is to preserve the relationship between the parent and teen, which gets real tricky. And I'm, I'm in the thick of it with a teenage daughter. So I keep going back to my book. And, um, the other thing is to be sure that their mental health is intact. And, you know, this is a really crazy, stressful, overwhelming, different world that our kids are growing up in. And, you know, social media, you've interviewed all the experts on that. And we just have a chapter on it. We're by no means the, the be all end all, but, you know, we couldn't write a book without addressing it on parenting teens, but that in some ways is, is one of our harder enemies, but it's also in so many ways, an amazing gift. So we never, we don't always look at the positives of social media. And I think there's so many, look at us today, how you and I have connected and how great this is professionally to be able to share ideas and help other parents. So that being said, I think really the goal is to say, I am human. I am sorry. <laughs> you know, be willing to apologize, but also really be willing to get to take some feedback from your kids and be willing to give them the feedback and say, you know, tell me what you think I could do better. Um, I also talk about being a good question asker and being a good listener. As you can hear, I'm a really good talker. And the data tells us it's an 80 20 rule. We should be doing 20% of the talking, 80% should come from them, which means we should be doing 80% of the listening. 
right? Yes. So yes. how do we do that? So those go together. Those things both go together. And we have to ask better questions. Don't ask your kids, how was school today? That's so boring. That's so flat. <laughs> we have 50 questions in the book that are much better than that, that will get you better answers than the eye roll or the fine or the grunt or the silence. So keep those dialogues open. Make sure there's food around. Um, that's the best way to your kid's heart is through their stomach. So, you know, give them some time to decompress if you're driving them to and from school. You know, they don't always want to talk in the car, even though it seems like the right place. They want to get in sometimes and just unload and scroll on their phone for a little bit and just kind of decompress. So my daughter, I remember told me, you know, mom, I don't like to talk on the way to school. You know, I would say what's classes you have today and what's going, she just wants it quiet. So, okay. So it's quiet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Picking, you know, I think we get them in the car and we're like, oh, I can have this great conversation with them. Now I've got them cornered. And sometimes the car is, is a great place to talk to them, but I find it's like 15 minutes after you've been in the car with them, you know, like don't say anything for a while. And then if you're going somewhere further and then all of a sudden they start to open up and talk. So yeah, I did a road trip with my high school senior through Utah, uh, 1300 miles in five days. And I had you know, comedy shows ready for us to listen to and podcasts and like fun music. And he wanted to put his earbuds in. So I listened to 12 hours of Ann Patchett read, you know, I listened to Tom Hanks, read me the Dutch house and <laughs> bonded when we got out of the car to do the photography and the hiking and the other things we were doing. He just he wanted to doze off and listen to his stuff. So we never even listened to the comedy show together. It's not always perfect in the car, but you can find your moments. You are using your parent compass, like you, you know, not trying to force, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, not all, not all our kids communicate the same way. That is my child of very few words. And he just, um, you know, when, when he speaks, it's for a reason and you get a good amount of content and then as long as, you know, there's no red flags, I just assume everything's going fine. I was nervous because he went away to college a few weeks ago and I told him I would need proof of life, just, a, just <laughs> a, even an emoji in the morning, you know, like, hi, you know, anything. So I just say to him, I just need one word or one sentence, whatever it is. And um, it's worked out fine. He's doing just fine without us. <laughs> I love that. Well, you use humor, just an emoji, a proof of life. <laughs> My son was like that too. And still can't that with these teens. We need to laugh. We need funny. We need to um, pull out the old family videos and show them what they look like when they were little. And when they were tripping over their feet and you were wiping their noses, you know, they suddenly, we watched some home movies before my son went away to college of him in little theater productions when he was, you know, seven or eight years old. And his girlfriend was over and we were all laughing and he was so embarrassed, but he was so, you know, it was light. It was fun. You know, it was a, it was an, it was a good bonding thing to do to kind of look back. Yeah. It was sweet. That's really sweet. Yeah. <laughs> so parents are, you write a lot about the whole, you know, launch into college and the whole college application process and how this can be a very stressful time. I mean, this is airing in October when there's junior parents, you know, juniors are feeling it, seniors first semester. Oh, I would never want to go back to that time. How can they let their kids be independent yeah. in this process and not freak out if they don't seem to care. Yeah. What do they do? 
So, you know, there are 4,000 colleges in the United States, uh, and there are 40,000 high schools in the United States. So doing the math means that every high school is going to have a valedictorian and a captain of the such and such team and a head of the newspaper and all those different things. But it also means there's places for everyone. And we tend to focus on this magic list that, you know, comes out. I'm not even going to give them the the words um, on your, you know, the, the publicity on your podcast, but we talk about this report in our book and how flawed it can be and how kids and parents can obsess over this list of where they think is the only place their kids will be happy. And I just sort of say no to that. What, what we suggest in the book is letting our kids take the lead, you know, being realistic about the process and letting them take the lead means letting them come up with this college list um, with their school guidance counselor or with a private counselor or with their English teacher, or maybe with you guys or with their friends, however they want to come up with this list that sounds reasonable. But really, if you want to visit schools or they want, you know, guidance in their college essays and all of that, like let them take the lead, right? So let them get on the websites to plan the campus visit if they want to go see a campus. Um, you know, don't ask any questions on the tour. Let them ask the questions on the tour, um, you know, if you have a chance to visit. Um, when, you know, prepare also with family dialogues about what the rejection is going to feel like. And we don't really like to use the reject, the word reject. We like to use the word denied admission because rejection, you know, just seems like, you know, something that you're bad at, you know, there's just the numbers don't work out for everyone in a million ways. So talk about the fact that, you know, you don't need a lot of schools to get into and it's nobody else's business. And the less we can post on social media as parents, the better. Don't post your, that you're visiting campuses. Don't post where your kids, you know, did, did, or even didn't get in, you know, for every one of those videos, it, it you know, keep, share that with your family and the people you're closest to and your very, very special friends. I mean, my son just played in his first college football game. And all I wanted to do was put a little clip on my social media and, you know, I held myself back and I just sent a text to my five girlfriends and I said, yay, he played in his first game. I knew you'd be happy for us, you know, and, and those are the people that, that need your news. Not everybody needs your news. So I did go back into my social media and, and did some cleanup from, you know, kind of years ago, by the way, which I thought was sort of a good thing because I think we tended to do a lot more then. And it's more important that we have our kids permission now because to broadcast their lives is, is a lot. So anyway, back to your original question in the journey and in the process, don't write your kid's college essay. Don't let chat GPT or, you know, I, whatever the, you know, the um, internet, write your kid's essay, um, <laughs> offer, offer to be there for support and guidance and have the conversations about what the, you know, not getting in might feel like, and that you're okay with that. And they should be okay with that. You're just going to focus on the few schools that they do get into and then celebrate those. Um, there's lots of other options to college too. There's community college, there's the military, there's internships, there's gap years. There's so many other specialties that kids can go into without going right into a four-year college. Um, it's not for everyone. So recognize when college or space might be, you know, a better choice for your, for your team. And don't be embarrassed about that. Most parents now in this day and age are thrilled to hear your kids are taking a gap year. What are they doing? That sounds so neat. As opposed to, Ooh, what went wrong? Yeah. You know? yes, yes. That was like a decade ago was, Oh, did they not get in? Or, you know, now it's like, no, I mean, you almost wonder why they don't, they've been in, you know, under the, under the grill for four years. So give them a little space to breathe. Yeah. I love that Cindy. So many 
so many good points. And yeah, I, I just so encourage um, our attendees to get your book. The links will be in everything. I mean, it is such a great read, super, super helpful. It's what we need. And uh, tell them where to find you. Yeah. So the easiest place to find us is um, at Parent Compass on Instagram, but also on Facebook, The Parent Compass, and on our website, parentcompassbook.com. That's a really great place to see all the things we've been doing and, and links to, you know, various places we've been. And um, yeah, we do have a couple giveaways too, I think with your, um, with yes. um, yes. a freebie, we have a great study skills guide, um, the top 10 study skills handout um, from a different book that I'd written on study skills that will kind of get your kids off to a good start this school year, really applicable for middle schoolers through college students, um, even beyond. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. So check that out too. You'll see the link and um, yeah, and very, very helpful. So thank you, Cindy, for being with us. And uh, it was, yeah, we just thank love talking to you. Thank you for having me. I know we were all over the place, but hopefully the parents who are here today will, will get some useful information and feel a little less alone in this journey. You know, find your village, find a couple like-minded parents who, who are following their parent compass too you know, create a book club together and read this book and, and share your, you know, your journey with them and be, um, you know, be supportive of one another. Don't compete with one another. It's just not, it's not the way to go. It doesn't look good. It's not cool. Your kids don't like it. Don't be that parent. The parent compass will teach you not to be that parent, how not to be that parent. <laughs> yes. We can all go. Yes, yes, yes. We don't want to be that parent. So thank <laughs> you again, Cindy. Thank you.